Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast, a podcast that aims to inspire, engage and connect social workers with other social workers and allied health professionals doing interesting and amazing things across the world. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Inside Social Work Podcast. I can't believe it's been 59 episodes. That is incredible. I could not have imagined uh, in 2019 when I just started my little podcast with a really crappy microphone uh, using my phone and the uh, voice memo app that it would become what it is today. So really excited uh, that things have been progressing this way and to all the beautiful listeners out there. Thank you so much for following the podcast. It's been really great. In today's episode, I chat with Sylvina and Sylvina is a speech pathologist. Uh, so she's not a social worker, but we love her anyway. And she has founded or she's the founder and director of Purple Carrots, which is a speech and drama studio. And check out their Instagram page because it is super cute. There are some beautiful videos of the participants absolutely having a ball in her workshops. It's really sweet to watch. Sylvina uh, is a Melbourneite, so Melbourne native and moved to Toronto in Canada and started Purple Carrots there and then came back and decided to bring it here as well. So she found a way to combine arts, her expressive arts and drama, Uh, child-centered play and speech therapy so a really beautiful combination and a really good example of how you can use uh, different life experiences and kind of put them together into an allied health role so this is a really beautiful program Um, I've seen some of the kids uh, coming out of these workshops with Sylvina with just absolute smiles on their faces and sometimes there is glitter and paint in weird spots and places around the place because we did share a space for a little while and it was great, totally fine. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed this episode with Sylvina. Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast. Uh, today I'm interviewing Sylvina D'Alessandro, a speech therapist here in Melbourne, which is super exciting. Welcome, Sylvina. Hi, thank you. We were just having a chuckle about our dogs, hopefully not barking. So let's see if we can get through this. <laughs> Um, did you want to chat a bit about your background? So speech therapy is quite broad and a lot of our listeners might not know all the different things it entails. Um, so I'd love mm. to hear from you. What's your speech therapy journey been like and, and kind of what is it that you do at the moment? Sure. Uh, so I've had quite a colourful career, I would say. Um, definitely not a linear one. Um, I graduated from speech in 2006. Uh, and then uh, after working as a speech therapist at a special developmental school for a year um, so I've always worked with children Um, so in speech therapy you can specialize in children or adults and there are many different fields so you can do um, fluency focused language speech um, pragmatics Um, and so at in my first job, it was a little bit of everything because I was the sole speech therapist um, at the school. 
and I worked there for a little while and then actually went on to study acting at the National um, Institute of Dramatic Art in Sydney. So I moved to Sydney, did that for the three-year degree and stayed in Sydney for about seven years, being an actress and working as a speech therapist and a kids entertainer and a drama teacher. And um, then I thought this is the time to try something completely different and I moved to Toronto for what ended up being almost seven years. And when I was in Toronto, I studied expressive art therapy, which is another three-year degree. Um, and then the winds changed and I moved back to Melbourne in 2020 and studied play therapy. Uh, child-centered play therapy specifically so uh yeah so what I do now is uh work as a speech therapist a play a child-centered play therapist and I run a, um, an inclusive drama program called or purple carrots drama studio and uh and yeah that studio is a, a combination of all the things that I've learned along the way and um uh, really, it's a representation of my my passion, which is really uh, helping children and adults improve their social communication through the arts with a primary focus on drama. That's amazing. So interesting. I didn't know that you studied theatre, like, in the middle. Yeah. I thought it was must have been a one came first, but it was a sort of, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It jumps around it. They all have the question I think of what it is to be human uh, <laughs> that's that's how I like and, and communication I think communication and um and what it is to be human is threaded through all of those different careers career paths what are some of the things that how can drama facilitate communication and growth and mm. how does that sort of align with speech therapy I mean in allied health in general I think what's been really useful for me as well is to see that there's a lot of overlap in what we do and because as a system and an environment if you're working with families or children um, it, it, we all overlap we end up working so closely with other allied health professionals mm. what would what would um, lead someone to to doing a, a program like that or participating like what sorts of things does it support mm. yeah so when I started working as a speech therapist, um, we're trained to to help children improve their pragmatics uh, in the speech room, which is an adult being me and the child uh, in the room, just the two of us. And you, you sort of talk about social skills and uh, that dynamic I found was really limiting. So even though a child might understand a certain, let's say, social norm, um, for example, you know, ask to borrow a marker if you want it rather than snatching a marker off someone else's hand, they might understand the concept of that or turn taking, like wait to say your turn, wait till the person's finished or eye contact, you know, all of these um 
social communication norms. They might understand it intellectually, but once you put them in a room with another child, generalizing that knowledge is really, really challenging because the stimulus that a child receives from another child is just so different from the stimulus a child receives from an adult, um, you know, or in this example, a speech therapist. So um, I, I find that working in, in you know, um, in the context of children with children and, you know, dealing organically with what comes up socially is just so much more uh, effective than working one-on-one. And, you know, I guess you could do a combination of the two of them if you want, if the parents wanted to. Um, but I really love also the uh, the indirect nature of working on social skills through drama. So, you know, we don't do it like, okay, this week we're working on listening. Next week we're working on turn-taking. Week after we're working on um you know, uh, eye contact. It's not really like that. It's we're working on a play, so we put on a play on the last day for family and friends. And drama itself innately invites the participants to um, create together, which requires social communication, effective social communication. So um, that. It, in and of itself is just so powerful. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's sort of what I really love about it. Yeah, that's really great. And I think it's fun. Learning's fun yeah, when it's presented absolutely. that way. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and interacting socially for the most part needs to be fun and motivating for the children that to feel more confident in doing it and want to come back and want to make and keep friends if you know it can't really be dry and boring otherwise they'll think oh no socializing is a negative experience so we really want them to have a positive experience with other children there was a word you used before that I'm not familiar with um around the type of you said something around with speech therapists work with children something around a type of language was it tempered language or um uh, Pragmatic language? Pragmatic language. Yeah, what does that oh, mean? Is that just sort of uh, like a diagnostic? Like, what's that? So, yeah. So, it's just essentially um, non-verbal language. So, social communication that isn't verbal. Mm -hmm. So, that will be all those social skills. Um, so, for example, um, autistic individuals struggle with pragmatic skills. So, that might just be... Um, when it's your turn to stop talking, when you might, you know, topic maintenance, um, turn-taking, body language, all those sorts of things that are almost secret rules um, in, in interaction, in social interaction that um, can be really challenging for some autistic individuals. Uh, and so, yeah, drama, again, is just so directly beneficial um, in that way because if, if, if you're doing a scene with somebody and their body is facing away from you, 
the story that that's telling is going to be really different to whether they are facing you. And so we might talk a little bit about that without necessarily any right or wrong or just be curious. It allows for a platform for curiosity because we might say, huh, you know, I wonder what the audience might be thinking about what this person is thinking or feeling if their body's facing away from their communication partner and um, problem solving together as a group when it's come up in play um, rather than saying, today we're going to work on body language, that kind of thing. Yeah, okay, awesome. And, and how does that fit in with, um, so you said it's a, a, an inclusive drama mm. group, so you're in, inviting um, children of all different ages. What are some of the ways in which you're also, because I, I know that there's a lot of, um, uh, maybe not debate, but it can be quite, when things are very explicitly social skills, people can find that a bit mm. ick because um, mm. we want to be mm. accepting of neurodiversity. So how does that, yeah. what does drama, how does drama change that conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, well, essentially, it's an inclusive drama program, which to me means that if you need more support in order to benefit from or enjoy a drama class, we can provide that. And the structure of it itself, so there's a six student maximum, there's two teachers, um, we have visual support, like a visual schedule and a visual timer. And if somebody needs a one-on-one to participate and to be able to achieve their goals, then we can facilitate that. Or um, if the parents have someone who they already like working with, um, they're welcome to come and support the child. So I guess the question um, is like, what are their support needs? Maybe they have very low support needs and, you know, all of those things aren't really necessary and, you know, they'll, can enjoy and benefit from the class um, but maybe they do need those extra levels of support and those things are available should they need it so um, to me that's what inclusivity in the drama class means yeah wonderful that's so it's so interesting and I've, I've seen some of the the children skip out of those happy drama class <laughs> Yeah, no, I love what you said before about it needing to be enjoyable because that's such a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. they do. They do. We we get a lot of positive feedback and children saying, you know, why why can't I come every day? Why is it only once a week? <laughs> you know, um, we try really hard to make it a positive space where we focus on strengths and not um, not so much challenges. Just support around the challenges, but really focus on the strengths. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I was thinking, and I wonder if you if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit around how did you find the internal, whether it's a, the confidence or to, to develop it. So you know, you recognize either there was a gap in the market, um, or there was mm-hmm. something that you that wasn't offered that you needed, and finding a way to combine all the different things that you've picked up along the way and that you love and enjoy into this idea that then became something you've run across two countries and had mm. to start up from scratch, you know, twice. Like how did, how did you kind of do all that? Cause we don't get taught 
business and marketing and we're not by nature mm. as allied health um pushed in that direction or exposed to it very often so what was that that journey like I never thought I would be running my own business <laughs> ever no that's been a huge learning curve uh, and I just did it because no one else was doing it and I thought it should exist <laughs> you know like this has to exist how are there not um drama classes that focus on helping to improve children's social communication like that is just such a clear um match made in heaven for me and it was just I didn't there was just was no real question around it when when it became clear that it needed to exist I thought well now I just have to learn the skills to make that possible and learning through mistakes is a really big one um, I had a business coach when I first came up with the idea because I just you didn't know where to start. So um, I, you know, sharing the idea was really important, telling people what I was thinking because then someone says, oh, well, I know a business coach who, you know, might help you get this off the ground. And so um, I worked with her to plan out what it might look like and really solidify my goals and set set deadlines for myself and say by this date I want to have achieved this by that date I want to achieve that um, and and the motivation to achieve those goals really came from my belief in in the program and how it could really really help people and that is what made it possible for me to do it again when I moved back to Melbourne because I, I don't know if I've said this in the podcast but I was running it for six years in Toronto before moving back here which I've now been running it for two years and it is hard to get the momentum each both times it was hard to get the momentum but the actual participants um, and their their experience is what motivates me so I think finding what really motivates you to do it and, and helps you push through all the questions that come up and all the doubts that come up for yourself. Um, you're just holding on to that. Like I think um, I think last time we had coffee, I mentioned to you, Marie, that when I was in Toronto, one of my adult students, said to me um oh what are you going to do when you go back to Australia and I said oh I'm not sure I'm, I'm thinking about starting this again in Australia but you know it's a big job and I'm, I'm not sure if people will like it there as much as they like it here and she looked at me she says well but they're humans so if they're <laughs> humans they're gonna love it <laughs> and um she is someone who's been doing the program for about four years and uh just her saying that um really it really helped me overcome some fears that came up along the way. If they're humans, they'll like it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it's the people who you're doing it for that helps you get get there. Yeah, and it's really it's really hard to stretch yourself out of your comfort zone that way. And you yeah. you know you said two years, so that puts you smack bang in the middle of all our lockdowns as well, trying to get this up and running again. <laughs> yeah. That was fun, wasn't yeah. it? So much fun. Yes. Um, definitely learned how to be flexible and mm. go with the flow throughout that time. It's 
most people found was necessary. So uh, I'm glad that we're back to some kind of consistency now. Yeah, yeah it, I think we, we all are. Um, yeah. it, for those listening, we have a lot of, I mean, we're mostly social workers, um, but of other other um, allied health um, other allied health practitioners uh, sometimes listen as well. What are some things that you know if you're working with children, if you're working in schools, um, without having to cross over into you know whole speech therapy qualification? What are some some ways that those working with with children in particular can um, can use this example that you've sort of talked about of finding a way to teach pragmatic language, but it comes up subtly through like the creating of a, you know, the final production. What are uh, tips or tricks or, or ideas that you have for those who work with that age group of just extra, extra ways they can be creative to engage children? Hmm. So, so incorporating some reflective responding is a really good way to help children become more aware of their own um, feelings and the feelings of others. Uh, which Can you give me an example of what that would be, like what's reflexive responding? Sure. Um, so if we go back to the matching the marker example that I gave before, as, um, you know, a uh, that might cause a, a conflict between two children. Um, so instead of jumping straight to the rule and saying, um, don't snatch, and maybe then going straight to a punishment, for example, responding with empathy to that child and saying, uh, oh, you know, you want the marker, it's hard to wait for the it's hard to wait for your turn. To, to get the marker and seeing what their reaction is to that response. So we do this constantly throughout a whole drama class, reflectively responding to feelings and, and thoughts. Um, probably one of the main ways that we teach um, increased emotional awareness throughout the class. And just wait and see what that is. And sometimes just being... Uh, seen with empathy by an adult is enough to stop the behavior and give that person some insight into maybe getting a little bit closer to naming a feeling mm -hmm. um, and then being able to make choices around that their behavior to have more awareness of their feelings so it's really it's a simple um, oh, so hard to wait your turn you really want the marker and then if you feel that you need to set a limit saying something like and we don't snatch markers and then uh, you can offer an alternative after that so what I'm talking about is a little bit more coming from the child-centered play therapy um, um, area of my of my education and my training which is incorporated into the class but I think this is a really nice one um, in terms of teaching self-awareness and social skills <clears throat> in a classroom environment. So you were saying about that reflexive listening and how you can reframe that interaction. I think it's very similar to emotion coaching, which is what I teach parents. 
there was something in what you said that really got me, um, grabbed my attention around not to punish first. And I think that's really interesting because we teach someone, we teach swimming, we teach someone how to ride a bike, we teach someone how to read and write and do maths, and then we punish for behaviours. And I think that's a really, it's really interesting around how you're talking about it with an understanding that we don't inherently know this stuff mm. and and how by reframing it the way you said, or, you know, emotion coaching is it's almost identical. It's, it's noticing the feeling and then talking about the behaviour and then you set boundaries or problem solve. Mm. Yeah, and I love uh, when possible, giving the child the opportunity to problem solve themselves. And almost um, one of the things I ask a lot is what do you need right now to you know, achieve a goal, like to stay in the group or to whatever the goal is in that moment. Um, and sometimes kids can answer that if they're regulated enough. Um, yeah. They can answer that question and say, I need a break or, um, you know, what, whatever it may be. Uh, and other times I need to give two clear options of of those two things, of, of the alternative choices. But, yeah, in regards to the, the rewards and punishment, we have a purple points board. And they get points based on um, essentially uh, having big hearts, so making their hearts and other people's hearts feel big in the space. Uh, and that's the kind of language that, that we're, we're using. And then I'll always have one child on the first session say, oh, and, and so then what do we get if we don't do that? Like, what, what's the punishment? And I, yeah, so they're expecting, I guess, that there's a punishment. And, and I just say, oh, you know, everybody makes mistakes. And if you feel like you've made a mistake, we can just talk about it and see how we can make a different choice next time. You don't get points taken off. And they're like, oh, and you just feel this big relief that, oh, we don't get points taken off, you know. Um, but it's not competitive. It's just, you know, however many points you get in the class, then at the end of the class, they get to decide what their purple party is to celebrate however many points they got in the class. So essentially, you know, uh, they, they they do like a dance party or an <laughs> art party or that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, positive social communication will be rewarded by a positive social experience is, is the subliminal message there. I love try that. to stay away from, try to stay away from um, physical like material rewards um, because I don't think they work <laughs> and the value of physical rewards lessens so quickly. So they might be excited about a lucky dip box after the first class, but certainly not after the fourth class and that we really want to encourage that intrinsic motivation. I love that purple heart, like purple, what was it? Big purple hearts. points for big hearts. Yeah, purple points for, for big hearts. Yeah. And that's like how, and so we talk about how do you keep your own heart big in the space and, how do you help other people's hearts stay big and what, you know, and it's language we can go back to. So if somebody hurts somebody's feelings and, you know, it can be part of the reflective responding, like, oh, noticing your, your heart's a bit small right now. Like, what can we do to help Samantha's heart feel bigger? Or asking her, what do you need for your heart to feel bigger right now? And, you know, that's, I really like it because you can also talk about what your body's 
you know, is your body tight when you have a big heart or is it nice and relaxed and open when you have a big heart, you know, and thinking about that body awareness uh, mm. for ourselves. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, it's really teaching that emotional attunement and yeah. and expressing needs. So hopefully then going home mm. and saying, this, you know, I, I, I'm feeling sad or my heart feels small and I'd love a hug or a cuddle or I just need to play in my room for a bit like really helping individuals figure out what essentially is help is regulating or self-soothing yes yeah and actually um feedback I get often from parents is oh they've started talking about their feelings more at home uh since doing the drama class and I think that's such that's that's really motivating feedback for me because it's the beginning of the ability to make a choice around behavior and mm. feeling empowered to, um, yeah, to be what, how you want to be. You know, it's okay to be sad, but if you want to change that, then you need to um, be able to name it for yourself and put certain things in place to be able to get to where you want to be. So, yeah. I think that's really valuable for parents it's I, I work with parents of adolescents and some of them have younger sort of tweens and we sort of talk about this idea of you have to name it to tame it you know there's no mm. bad feeling but if you can't identify or you struggle to realize that what might seem like anger is loneliness or sadness it can be hard to to sit with it and manage it yeah. and then figure yeah. out what you need what's the yeah. what's either a a solution or something to self-soothe or um you know what's going to work in that moment because feeling overwhelmed maybe requires a different solution to lonely or insecure and yeah if the children don't have that emotional literacy yeah. they'll, they'll try to get their needs met or in ways that maybe aren't helpful or causing conflict mm. yeah yeah and i think part of the something that comes to mind when you say that is the importance of the adult being able to sit with those uncomfortable feelings and not Mm. try to fix them straight away so you know it's it it, yeah that comes up in the class a lot as well um if that you know if there's some hard feelings going on for whatever reason um we we would just say oh bit um bit sad today and sit with that and you can almost see them expecting you to like try to fix it or come up with a solution. <laughs> um, and when you don't and you just sort of sit with it and empathize, often they will come up with their own solution to that problem. Yeah. And, and I think the, 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 one of the key factors is that they are motivated to join into the class and so they want to find a way to overcome where they're at because the the content of the class is is motivating yeah I think that's a really interesting um, observation that if you're always getting told off in a setting then Mm. when you're feeling not great you don't want to, the, the intrinsic motivation is then like, why would I go back to that environment? Like there's no desire to go back because I'm getting told off. And yeah. so unfortunately that that way of, you know, carrot and stick um, punishment yeah. and reward 
it actually doesn't teach the behavior and mm. and it, yeah it's just a really interesting observation that you made of like they're having so much fun that they want to manage what's happening for them so they can get the most out of it and enjoy the drama or the painting yeah. or the purple party or whatever you have yeah yeah and their, their relationships become more and more important to them as the weeks go on. Great. So making, staying, you know, playing with their friends is going to be really motivating as well, which is great. This is, is really interesting. And I mean, we could talk for hours because I find this bit that of this is a really big overlap, I think, between um, sort of mental health and what you're doing because you're essentially teaching that self-soothing, that regulation, getting needs met setting boundaries like so much of that is in that psychoeducation bit of mental health um, mm. you're just we're working at different age groups which um yeah i love that you mm. prevent potentially anxiety and depression by kids making contact with friends and knowing what they need and asking for it and, and being able to identify those feelings yeah yeah well and we're actually about to start a um a collaboration with jumpstart community services to start running um adult neurodiverse drama classes so that's exciting they used to run those in toronto and they were so successful and they actually created a um a, a co-op theater company branch of purple carrots called the purple stage and put on their own professional productions of um, improvised theater shows so the adults can really take the reins and make make it whatever they want it to be amazing and all these same strategies i guess for one of a better word that they can be applied to adults as well mm. and um yeah Amazing. and and for people who are interested in learning a bit more about what you do where can they find you so best place would be the website which is purplecarrots.com.au great thank you so much this has been so interesting thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode the Inside Social Work Podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast today and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support the podcast, you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcast and feel free to join the Facebook group. It'd be great to hear from you. Have a lovely day. Bye.